want to join with the others in expressing our thankfulness at your presence with us today. We're grateful for visitors with us. What an encouragement you are. We're thankful for those who may be joining us online. We pray that you'll reach out to us and let us know if we've been encouraging to you and if there's something we can do to be helping you and serving you. We've come together because of God. We've come together because of Christ who's called us to stir one another up to love and good works. And We intend to do that this morning. The best way we know how to do that is to have you studying in His Word with us. I pray that you'll open your Bible and follow along in the text that we'll be looking at in just a moment. We'll be looking at several texts, but Ephesians 4 will be our anchor. And I just uh, am so thankful to, to be able to be here with you and to be able to praise God together, raise our hearts together to Him. A few years ago, there was a series of books that came out, sort of do this, not that. There was some about eat this, not that, or work out this way, not that way. And the concept is pretty simple and pretty straightforward, and it's a concept that we see in the Scriptures. We see Paul talking here of the Ephesians not walking like the Gentiles, but walking in holiness. Don't walk like them, but walk like Christ. And we'll sort of look at what that means in practical terms and how we can uh, sort of think about that in our day-to-day walk. How ought we to be living in a way that's going to glorify and honor God? But I want to look at some failed principles, ways that, that we aren't doing this as we ought to. And one of the first failed principles is only putting on. In this, in this text here, only, only putting on. In this text here, we see this idea of putting on Christ and putting off the old man. And there are some who fail in this because they only get as far as putting on. In Mark chapter 4, as Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower there, as he's talking about the different types of soils that the seed was scattered into as the sower went out, he expresses one type of soil that he says, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's from Mark 4, verse 7, and then his explanation in verses 18 and 19. You can clearly see the seed was there. The seed of the word of God penetrated and began to grow in the soil, but there were other things that he calls thorns in this passage. There were other things that were growing alongside that began to choke out the fruitfulness of the word. Other cares. He said the cares of the world, some of those not even sinful in and of themselves, but just things that are being done and focused on in this world that end up choking out the fruitfulness of the seed. What we see sort of in this is that some feel a need to add God or religion to their lives. They have pretty good lives. They're pretty decent people, and they sort of start to feel this pull to add God or religion to their lives. Uh, probably 15 years ago, I got a call from one of my cousins. She had uh, her, her child was reaching the age of 10 or 11, and she was starting to see some behavior issues. And she just called me knowing that I had, had been a Christian for a while and said, I really think I need to start putting some God into the life of my, of my daughter. And I thought you might be able to help me with that. I, I know that you believe in God, and I used to, and I've struggled with that. So I thought maybe you could help point me towards some religion that would be helpful for her. And I told her I was grateful for the phone call and said I would love to study the Bible with you and with her if that'd be helpful. And you can sort of see what the Bible offers and, and decide what you want to do with that. Well, I never got another call. <laughs> uh, they sort of felt this need for something religious, something godly in their life, but they weren't that concerned about it and never got another phone call about it. And when I've tried to follow up since, there's never been any real uh, concern to go any further. But some do go further and they decide, I just really need some God in my life. 
There may be many reasons why people would do this. Here's something I found on the National Alliance on Mental, Health, uh, Mental Illness, talking about the blessings, the health blessings of religion. Religion gives people something to believe in, provides a sense of structure, and typically, typically offers a group of people to connect with over similar beliefs. These facets can have a large positive impact on mental health. Research suggests that religiosity reduces suicide rates, alcoholism, and drug use. Those are all very arguably good things. I don't think any of us would deny that those are good things that would be some healthy benefits of being part of some religion or some God-based movement. But that's all some people are seeking. And I've heard some statements very similar to these from people who are quite comfortable in some church where they belong because this is what they were looking for and this is what they found from their group, their social group that has given them these, these blessings. Reduce suicide rate. Reduced alcoholism, reduced drug use. Is that what the gospel at its core is really about? Is that what Jesus was calling us to? Well, certainly those are all things that Jesus would be excited to have removed from our lives. But is physical health really what the call is about? There are some that make claims about God's food laws and say that's part of what's so important about coming together, that this is just really a healthier way of life. The application of the law centers on bodily health which is an essential factor in Christian life. Therefore, a strict stance on all meats considered unclean. Further, a, ve a vegan diet was God's original plan for humanity in the garden. That's from the Adventist Guide. I've got references to these if you'd like to look up the fuller context of these quotes. But this concept that the law really centered on making your physical life better, that's an essential factor now in Christian living, is the body, physical body. That is absolutely not what the New Testament teaches. Uh, there are great benefits, side benefits, to living in a healthy, Christian, holy way. That is not the focus ever in the New Testament. And uh, God's original plan for humanity sort of leaves out the whole aspect of the fall. Yes, before the fall, man did not eat animals. After the flood, God sanctioned the eating of meat and told them uh, how to do it and how not to do it. And there were laws about that in God's Old Testament as well. But some make these claims that if you'll just become a religious person, you'll, you'll follow veganism because that's the Bible diet. You may have heard of Ezekiel bread. I hate to tell them what the rest of the verse says, how it was actually cooked, but they use a verse that says Ezekiel made this bread. It's cooked over human dung. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, don't, don't eat real Ezekiel bread. But the Ezekiel bread, it's probably fine. But they say it just uses grains you can only find in the Old Testament. And so it's not these processed grains. Okay, whatever, that's healthy. But is that the focus of what the Bible is teaching? But if we're adding a little bit of God and a little bit of religion to our lives, we can see how that might be something we would want. Some do it for social benefits. Here's another uh, psychologist's take on religion. Having people practice Buddhist meditation for a short time makes them kinder. After only eight weeks of study with the Buddhist Lama, 50% of those who meditated daily spontaneously helped a stranger in pain. Turns out they planted a stranger in pain and the person went and spontaneously helped them. Only 16% of those who didn't meditate daily did the same. Well, you might notice that the God that's being added there is Buddhism, as a religion there. This is not even something that's biblical, but David Destino is a psychologist, and I've got his credentials if you want those as well, is writing extensively about this, how much religion just makes us a better people. I'm also reading a book at the same time that talks about how religion ruins everything in the world and we should never be a part of a religion by an atheist. Religion is not the answer, and the Bible is not trying to teach us religion. But some people see that. I need to add a little bit of religion to my life because that will make some social benefits for me that will be good. 
And so you want to become a generally kinder person. You look for some religious tenet that can help you to get there. And some people do it just to feel better about themselves. We certainly have an example of that in Luke chapter 18. A Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. It's easy to chuckle at that, and, and it's, it's ironic and sad at the same time. But as we're looking at all of this, I want us not to consider that's what everybody else does. Because I believe there's a tendency among ourselves to be doing the same thing. We need to be careful that we're not seeing ourselves in here, or if we're in here, we need to be careful to see ourselves here and make the changes that are necessary. If we sort of just sprinkled some religion or some God into our lives, we need to be careful about what we are seeking as we're seeking. Or do we just want to feel better about ourselves? And I, I sure do belong to a really good group of people, and there are some benefits that come from that. Or am I seeking the Lord? Sometimes it may just be that you're perceived by others as being right or good because you belong to some religion. Now, in our world, that's a little bit different. Right now, our culture sort of is pushing those things away. But it used to be you're seen as a really good person if you belong to a church or if you've got uh, good standing in the community because of your uh, religious standing. And that's really what my uh, cousin, I think, was more after. Uh, but we see an example of that also in Mark chapter 10. You have this young man who comes to Jesus. He's called the rich young ruler if you put all the text together. And he comes and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man says, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. We know how the rest of the story goes. Jesus, loving him, looked at him and said, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and you'll have an inheritance in heaven. And the young man was unwilling to do that. What was he looking for when he came to Jesus? He's already been doing all of these great things. Why was he coming to sprinkle a little bit more? It says he's looking to inherit eternal life. Whatever his motives were, Jesus' response showed that inheriting eternal life is not just another nice thing to add to your possessions. He told him that he needed to get rid of his possessions, in fact. Not just adding a little bit of God or religion to your life that's going to make a difference. Is being a Christian something else that I do? <laughs> Sometimes it seems like that. Sometimes we may just live our lives so busy that, oh, oh yeah, I've got to go be a Christian today as well. Or is it who I am? If we're just trying to add a little God or a little religion to our lives, then Christianity is going to be sort of relegated to just some other thing that I'm also including. It's just this nice thing that I do in the middle of my week or at the beginning of my week to sort of get things going in the right direction. Paul had a very different conclusion about his service to the Lord than than that kind of a concept. I'm not saying that I know of anybody here that's guilty of that. I'm saying these are tendencies that we ought to watch out for. But in Galatians chapter 2, here's the way Paul grounded himself on these things. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It sound like Paul added a little bit of Jesus into his life? No. His life is Jesus. That's crazy talk. That's what I was told when I was first converted. You can't live what the Bible says. Well, that's crazy. You can't do that. You're going to go crazy trying. Well, I might be crazy, but I've been trying it for 26 years. There's a long way I've still got to go, but I'm so thankful to God for what I've been able to do. And I'm not saying that I thank God I'm not like other men. What I'm saying is you can do it. Paul did it. Jesus proved that it can be done. 
Paul did it and others have done it and we're seeking to do that or we ought to be. Christianity ought to be, Christ ought to be who we are, who we're becoming, who we're being transformed into. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul says something very similar. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I struggle with that second part still. (laughs) I, I want to live for Christ and I ought to understand what a gain it would be to die to this world, no longer be tempted. But part of me still struggles with wanting to stay around here as long as I can. I'll leave that up to God. But you understand what Paul is saying. He didn't just add a little bit of Jesus to his life. He wasn't looking for that. His life was radically different when he came to Christ. There's a second failed principle, though, when we look at this idea in Ephesians 4 of putting on Christ and putting off the old man. And some people merely put off some things. Luke chapter 11, verses 24 and following. This is an interesting parable that Jesus tells, or an interesting situation Jesus talks about here. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and it returns and dwells in the house, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. It was a troubling thing to hear when I, when I first studied through that years and years ago. You think about what he's saying here. Some people sweep their house, put it in order, get rid of a lot of stuff that's not needed, but then they leave the house empty. <laughs> They've taken care of getting all the bad stuff, you will, if you will, out of it. But perhaps they stay empty because there's no real growth. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and following, Hebrew writer says, By this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. These people are empty in terms of their growth, in terms of their their understanding of the things of God. The writer is trying to tell them something about Melchizedek, who's mentioned only about five times, in five verses, that is, in the whole entire Old Testament, but is a pretty key figure in this lineage of Christ as a priest from a different line. And so the Hebrew writer wants to talk about that and says, well, but I probably can't because you won't understand. You're dull of hearing these kind of things. So you need to go back and grow some more so I can then show you some of these deeper things that belong to the Lord. And sometimes that's where people end up. They they may have put on Christ in some way, but what they've really done is just sort of gotten rid of some things. And they really haven't grown, haven't filled that house with anything solid or or useful. In 1 Peter, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Peter uses that same idea of newborn babes. He says, "...laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word." that you may grow thereby. There's a need for growth. We cannot remain empty as people once we have decided to cast out all of the things that weren't really good for us that we were doing. Uh, And so we just sort of stay where we are after that and we stagnate. That's not what the Bible has in mind when we're called to Christ. People become content, but immature and remain empty as that man who swept his house. He was content with a clean house but he was so immature that when the demons came back, they just ran over the place. Is it possible that there's no real hope? 
This is what was going on with the Corinthians. Here's a church that's called a church of God. There are so many good things we do see, but they were faltering in their hope. They were starting to disbelieve the gospel. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 begins to sort of shake them a little bit and, and bring them back to the concrete evidence of the gospel. But he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is empty. That's what that word futile means. That's why I put it this here, this emptiness. They, they've received this faith. They've received Christ. They had these spiritual gifts. They had all kinds of things going on. And yet somehow their faith had become empty. If Christ had not been risen, they would still be in their sins. And so what he tells them is, in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Think about that. You put off a lot of things, a lot of things that the world is enjoying, a lot of things the world is calling you to be a part of. You say, no, no, I can't do that. And sometimes you just get this negative image of Christianity. Well, I just can't do anything. Christianity, I can't do anything. <laughs> really? Put off a lot of things, but for a vague hope for a wish maybe sort of, that maybe someday everything's going to turn out okay. Maybe someday I'll be good enough to get into heaven because I've put off enough stuff. That is not at all what the gospel is calling us to. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. I used Paul before as an example of someone who, who understood what it was to live Christ. Look at someone who understood what it was to put off some things and why that was important. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 24. This is Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Understand, that means prince. <laughs> he refused to be called a prince, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. If that was it, that would just be a sad choice. But verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches and the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. <laughs> He had a real hope. The reproach of Christ, we're told, was what Moses was thinking of. Of these promises God had made back before the law, back before Moses was called to bring the people out of Egypt. These promises he had made in Adam and then in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to send one who was going to rectify all of this, all of this mess. Moses was looking to that hope. The Corinthians somehow were losing that hope. A hope that they had seen more concrete than Moses could have. That Moses was willing to give up the riches of Egypt to suffer the reproaches of Christ because that reward was greater. Do we understand that way? That we're, we're putting off evil things, things that the world looks up to. We're putting those off for a reason, for a hope. If we're putting on Christ, that hope is a real hope in His resurrection. Sometimes people are empty because they've given up so many things but they're discontent and hopeless. And so they're just sort of coldly religious and empty. Colossians chapter 2, we'll look in just a moment. But some people sort of have this idea that Christianity is just about not sinning. I'm just putting off sins. That's, what I'm, that's, what, that's the way I'm doing. I'm just pushing sin away. That's a great thing, by the way. I'm not saying don't try to get sin out of your life and don't allow the Lord to do that. But look at Colossians chapter 2. Here's uh, what can happen if all we're ever thinking about is sinful, sinful, sinful. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, and then verse 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you submit yourself to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
It's one thing to start pushing a bunch of things away. To make a bunch of rules, that's what ends up happening, is you make a bunch of rules to help you put off sin, but those rules end up not helping you at all in the indulgence against the flesh. Your rule is, I can't have a television, okay? What are you doing with your eyes when you're not watching the television? If you're using your eyes to lust after something, then the problem you were having with the television, you're having somewhere else. Train the heart. <laughs> then you'll use a television properly and the street properly. But there's an issue when we try to circumvent the Word of God by putting these barriers in place. Instead of allowing the Word of God to transform and change us, then we don't grow. We become empty non-sinners. <laughs> but are we in fact sinning? <laughs> As we're not serving God, we're pushing things away but we may end up falling into sin anyway. And that's really what we see that happened with the Pharisees. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see how it's meant to work. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christ's rules, if you want to call them rules, are meant to transform us. When men make rules, they just sort of put up barriers against things that they don't want to be caught up in, perhaps. When Christ sets rules, he works on our heart. And when we obey him, our heart changes. Our mind is transformed and renewed. The word is metamorphosis. We're made into something better. If we're following his teaching, it transforms us. If we're putting up barriers so we don't fall into sin, that's not transformative and it ends up making us focus on the sin that we're trying to avoid. Not sinning in reality is about serving God. Look at Romans 6 verse 13, for example. Romans 6 verse 13. It's not about putting up barriers. It's about serving God. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Why am I not sinning? Because I'm taking the energy and resources he gave me for good and using them for good. I'm serving him instead of serving the taskmaster that can only pay me with death. It was the context in Romans chapter 6. Not sinning is meant to please the one who enlisted us. I love this image that Paul uses when he's speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Think about the emptiness of a life of a soldier who gives up family, goes away across to another part of the world, gives up his free time every day. He's doing these workouts and these training exercises. He's learning all these things, but he's not really worried about serving in the military. He's just sort of there. He's given up a lot for nothing. <laughs> the one who is worried about pleasing the one who enlisted him is doing these things because he has a purpose behind what he's doing. We've been enlisted in the Lord's army and we need to be preparing ourselves for the service and the battle against uh, evil and against sin. Not sinning is to use our zeal in God's pursuits. That's exactly what it's about. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11. I just love this text. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, yes, get rid of sin, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself 
his own special people zealous for good works. It's not about not sinning. It's about doing the work of God. The work of God is not going to involve sin. We're going to be using our energy and our resources in the pursuit of doing good for him. We're going to put zeal into that. Many in the world end up ordering their lives, emptying them of sinful practices, but of course never acknowledge Christ or sin. We talked about the, this Buddhist practice before of being kinder by doing this Buddhist meditation. Practitioners of other enlightenment religions where you sort of move up the scale because you do good things for other people. At the end, you're thinking of yourself. It ends up being more selfish than altruistic. Atheists and agnostics, they, they empty their lives of things they don't want. They stop using drugs and stop smoking for health benefits or whatever. They, they be nice to other people, hoping other people will also be nice to them. Addicts who just simply desire a cleaner life. I want to show you this page. We're not going to read this text, but there's a page called changegrowlive.org. It's a drug rehab site, and it lists a bunch of things, a lot of them that would have biblical uh, precedent behind them, things you can do to stop using drugs now before you can get the kind of help you need. And there's a lot of these principles we would find in the Bible, but never once on their page does it mention sin. Don't stop, stop doing drugs because it's sinful. No one says that. It's harmful to your health. Stop doing it. Uh, no one mentions God. No one mentions any kind of a religion. This is a completely agnostic site, if you will. And the point is that people can do this without ever considering the Lord. They can put off without ever considering the Lord. And sometimes that's exactly what happens even among religious people. So some fail by only putting on. Some fail by only putting off. The principle that Christ is teaching through Paul in Ephesians 4 is, involves both, putting on and putting off. In Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24, Paul says, that's not the way you learn Christ, the way that the Gentiles do things. You need to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. So there are two different things going on. There's a putting on and a putting off at the same time. So it's not just an addition or a subtraction, but a conversion. That's the concept here. There's a, there's a complete change that needs to happen. And so we've looked at some of this already in some of the texts we've been looking at. In Galatians 2, Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm not living the way I lived before because something has changed. Christ has come into my life. And I'm living for him and by him and with him. In Col Colossians 2, if you died to the world, how are you still doing the things of the world? There's a change has to happen. That's the argument also in Romans 6. You died and then were buried in baptism. You now have a different life. You're a new person. Live like a new person. Walk in newness of life. In Romans 12, this concept of the transformation, the renewal of your mind, that happens when you're learning and growing and doing the things that the Lord has commanded to do. So I'd like to sort of look at this practically before we finish out today. Um, this, the people who made these books, this Eat This, Not That, and some of the other ones that I sort of used this image from at the beginning, they really understood the concept. It's not just adding some healthy food into a bad diet. That's not going to help you. Or it's not just removing all the unhealthy food. Sometimes they'll say you reward yourself with this sugary thing. You know, you need that in there once in a while, this motivator. But it's really about changing your attitudes about food, changing your habits, so you can attain a goal. <laughs> there's hope involved. There's this concept of change. There's this, this process of learning about what you need to so you can make the changes properly. They understood this concept. I want to say it's a biblical concept, not about food perhaps, 
But this concept we've been looking at in Ephesians 4, this idea of where change really is going to come from. And so Paul says, or in Galatians, and I want to I think through this text just a bit, and we'll, uh, we'll look at a sort of a chart that will help us to see it. But in Galatians chapter 5, this is the text we might know better that says sort of the same thing that's in Ephesians 4. Galatians 5, starting at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's think about that sort of practically. You cannot walk in two different directions at the same time. Now, someone say, well, you can walk northeast. <laughs> okay, that's not two different directions. That's a combination of directions. You cannot walk east-west. <laughs> you can't do that. Those are opposites. So a sinful lifestyle and a holy lifestyle are opposites. You can't walk in the Spirit and at the same time walk according to the flesh. You can't do it. And that's what Paul is saying in Galatians. If you will walk in the Spirit, then you will not be walking in the flesh. <laughs> in practical terms, do this, not that. It's pretty simplistic to say it that way. But I think it helps for us to sort of visualize things in this simple way. I know it helps me. When I'm struggling with the flesh, I remember walking in the Spirit. <laughs> you won't be doing the things of the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit. Do what the Lord has told you, not what you feel like you want to do for the moment. So walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What a simple piece of mathematics <laughs> that you can't do those both at the same time. And I want you to sort of think about it. Here's what the Spirit will bring into your life. This is the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But here's what walking in the flesh looks like. It's amazing how many more things there are. I didn't notice the, the difference until I was trying to put this chart together. How many more things are mentioned as being a part of this, things like these, things that are walking according to the flesh. But you think about this for a moment. If you're walking in love, you're not going to be walking in sexual immorality. You're not loving the person that you're lusting for. <laughs> if you're walking in joy, you're not going to be walking in fits of anger. <laughs> if you're walking in patience, you're not going to be walking in rivalries and dissensions. If you're walking in faithfulness, you're not going to be walking in these other things that are there. You can't walk in both of those directions at the same time. Paul will tell the Philippians to meditate on these good and noble and right things. Because if you're meditating on those, you're not thinking about sin at the same time. This concept is replete through the Bible. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, just a couple of, of real simple examples of this, and then uh, the lesson will be yours. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. I've got them backwards on here on purpose because the do is on the left and the do not is on the right, but here's the way it is in the verse. Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
pursue righteousness. That word pursue literally means persecute. You go after it with all you got. <laughs> go after righteousness. That's what you ought to be doing instead of going after youthful passions. Flee youthful passions, and really these are both going in the same direction. <laughs> flee youthful passions, and where am I going to flee to? To righteousness. Pursue it. You can't go in that direction and still be going after youthful passions, these things that are sinful. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we already looked at this verse before. He says in the do part, long for spiritual milk as newborn babes. You want to grow. But what he said before that was, put away all malice. You're going to put something away, but you're going to put something else on. These both need to happen, but that way you're not going in the direction of malice. You're going in the direction of the growth that you're putting on after you put something else off. In Romans 6.19, we looked at part of Romans 6. I want to just look at this verse quickly. Romans 6 and verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Present yourselves, your members, your bodies as slaves to righteousness. Nobody likes to think of themselves as a slave. But I've been called by a master to do what's good and what's right, and that's all I want to do. He's watching over me. I want to do what he wants. And to do that, I've got to stop being a slave of impurity. I've got to turn away from that because I can't serve two masters. But so many of us live with a foot in each world. I can't go east and west, so what do I do? Well, I can't decide. I'm just going to stand right here. And so my life becomes empty because I've pushed out some things that I didn't really want in my life, but I'm not going in the direction of holiness. I'm just sort of standing here empty. Or maybe I've put on some things, but I'm not really uh, serving as I ought to and not living as I ought to. For some reason, I've lost the control on this. Thank you. So it's not a pursuit of earthly perfection. That's not what we're talking about here. We can't get there anyway. We're still going to be sinners in need of forgiveness and grace no matter what. In 1 John chapter 1, John just lays out the fact that we are going to struggle with sin even as, as those who are serving God. Uh, we need to be realistic about that, be honest about that, be transparent about that, be open with each other about that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's such a blessing. Not just that He says, okay, I, I forgive you for that one, and now I'm still walking around dirty. No, He will cleanse us from unrighteousness. We need to be willing to go forward believing that. If we say we haven't sinned, though, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We still need His grace. We're not going to be perfect, but we need to be pursuing righteousness. Life in Christ ought to look different. And that's really the practical part of Ephesians chapter 4. We're not going to read through all that. But what we need to understand is that life in Christ is not just going to look like some new thing we've acquired. Oh, that guy's picked up Christianity now too. That, that cool neighbor of ours has got Christianity going on now too. No, that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking to just add some religion to our life. It's not defined by what we've left behind. You think about Lot's wife. She was defined by what she left behind because she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. How often is that what ends up happening? We're, we're focused so much on all the horrible things we left behind that what are we focused on? The horrible things we left behind. Let's think about the grace that God has given us and called us into something better. Don't focus on the sin. Meditate on the good things. Paul talks about in Philippians 4, for example. The idea here, as we're looking in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, is that our life in Christ is defined by a new walk just as he walked 
pursuing righteousness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Do this. Walk like Christ. Not that, like the way you used to walk. Don't stand expecting that things are going to get better if you're still undecided between two worlds. Walk with Christ. If we can help you to do that, that's why we're here today. I'm prayerful that this lesson has been practically helpful for you. It's helpful for me to think of things in these sort of practical, concrete terms. God is calling us to something so much better. He surely does want us to push out sin. He wants us to get that out of our lives. It can't be there. We're told in Hebrews that we need to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We need to be holy in our conduct and we need to remove sin to be able to do that. But God's the one who removes the debt and the burden of that sin. We push it out and we, we let him take it. We need to be putting on Christ though. We can't just sort of stand here with the house empty, all the sin pushed out. We've got to be putting on Christ, but not sort of as just some decoration. It's not just something new we've added to our lives. Christ becomes our life as we grow in him, as we sacrifice ourselves on the altar and we have our minds renewed and transformed by his word. We grow to be more and more like him. And so we put on Christ and put off the world and we walk as he walked. If we can help you to do that today, we want so much to do that. We want to encourage you to walk with Christ. If you know what that means and want to come forward confessing that Jesus is Lord, be baptized to have your sins removed. We can, we can do that for you this very day. We can help you with that. If you don't know what that means, you want to study about it, please come. We'd be glad to study with you more in detail about that. If you're already a Christian and you're struggling, maybe your life feels empty. You haven't, you've swept everything and put it in order, but you haven't filled it with Christ as you, as you should. We want to help you with that as well. If we can help you in any way, whatever your need may be, make it known to us. We're going to stand and sing this song to encourage your obedience.